Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography, the podcast where real couples like us candidly navigate the journey to a healthier, more connected life. Join us as we share personal experiences, expert insights, and practical tips to help you thrive in your relationships and break free. Together, let's repair and build a rock-solid connection, becoming a couple that can overcome any challenge. Hey, everybody. On Monday, I said in the E podcast that I was going to offer a bonus episode of the conversation that I had with the LDS life coaches. And here it is. I've got it for you right now. I just want to offer this out to you. You know, we talk about changing the narrative in this podcast. And I want to offer to you, Darcy and I would love to come and help you in your ward or your stake or in your congregation to change the narrative around pornography, to talk about it in a way that reduces the shame, increases our ability to choose, and from a place of agency, make the choice that is going to bring us the most value for our lives. And, you know, we want to do this. We do it for free. We do it all the time. We love talking to stakes. We love talking to wards. We love talking to branches. So, you know, if you want to have us come on a fifth Sunday or just do a Zoom meeting for a fireside, we would love to do that. Please let us know, uh, but if, as you listen to this, if there is anything that you hear that you like, please share it with somebody. Please share it with somebody in your neighborhood, your ward, your family, anybody who can use this information. We want them to have it, want it to be available to them so that they can start changing the narrative for themselves. All right, thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to review us on iTunes. Here you go. Welcome to Latter-day Life Coaches, the podcast where each episode is a conversation between me Heather Rackham, and one of my amazing coach colleagues. Each coach here is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and certified through the Life Coach School. Together, we have one main goal, helping you live your best life no matter what. You ready for this conversation with the coach? Here we go. Whenever we discuss pornography use in the church, we often refer to it as an addiction. But Coach Zach Spafford thinks it is an inaccurate description of what is really happening and one that needs to change. Zach feels the narrative around pornography use needs to change so that we can allow for agency and mistakes. When we come to accept that all of us were sent to earth to use our agency and that mistakes are part of that agency, then we can come to view those who look at pornography in a much better way that can actually allow them to choose to not view it instead of being forced by fear to not view it. Which, by the way, never works. If you or someone you know is viewing pornography and wants to stop, this is a great episode to listen to. Today, I am so lucky because I get to have a repeat coach on the podcast with me today, and I'm excited for this conversation. Zach Spafford is with me today. Zach, can you... Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm Zach. Uh, I am the father of eight, uh, husband to Darcy, as I like to say. Uh, it's funny because most of my life, people are like, oh, you're Darcy's husband. And now kind of in the coaching world, and if I go to events, people are like, oh, you're Zach's wife. <laughs> so I like to describe myself as Darcy's husband because that's the reality we've lived for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am. Tables have turned a little bit. I know, right? <laughs> um, yes. It's it's a little surreal to like walk through Costco and every once in a while somebody be like, I know you. 
I don't want to admit that I know you <laughs> because of what we do, but I know you, right? Um, and that's okay. It's totally fine. Everybody's everybody's where they are, right? Uh, but I am a coach who helps people eliminate a por- unwanted pornography habit from their lives. And Darcy helps me, uh, husbands and wives, uh, especially wives who are living that reality. Um, and I, I work primarily with LDS people, men and women, not just men, but men and women who are struggling with pornography. And it's such a needed topic and something that is so important to so many people because it is something that really can get in the way of relationships if it's not, if people can't find the help that they need. Yeah, absolutely. I I find that a lot of times when people come to me, they are in a place of not, not just like their relationship is struggling but they feel like if they could just solve this one problem, mm-hmm. their, their relationship would thrive. And, and that's true to a certain extent. And that's the work that I do is I help people not just like, okay, I'm going to eliminate this one bad thing from my life, but I'm going to, I'm going to help you thrive. I'm going to help your relationship thrive and I'll help you get the skills that you need, not just to stop one habit, but to interact with your partner in intimate ways that never existed for you before. Let's just talk. Let's, let's get to the bottom of it. There really is probably no getting to the bottom of it. Right. I mean, obviously people get to the bottom of things when they're working with you, but, um, let's just start from the top. I think sometimes we do in our culture and, and we, we belong to a religious faith that, um, gosh, teaches us so many amazing things, right? We're so blessed for, and, and I can see the, the joy that's in my life every day and the peace and the comfort and the hope that comes to my life every day because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes traditionally and the way we talk about things is not helpful sometimes in other areas of our life areas. How do you like how I said that? That was came out funny, but (laughs) I, and I think one of those is the way we talk about pornography. And I know that you feel the same way in some regards as I do there. So let's just chat about that for a second. Yeah, I think we want to position a a specific narrative around pornography. We, I mean, this is, this is the messaging of the church. This is the messaging of, of a, of a culture and of an organization, right? And every organization does this. This is not unique to the, to the church or unique to any specific organization. The realities of most organizations are we create a narrative and we say, this is the official narrative. Even if we like aren't doing it on purpose, it's just kind of the way that it works. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems with the way that we currently look at the narrative around pornography is that it is almost entirely based in fear. So last year in June, I think early June, we had a lesson on pornography. And if you go back and you read that lesson and you watch the videos that the church put out, they're almost entirely based in this idea that if you view pornography, you will destroy your life. Now that doesn't sound like a hopeful (laughs) message to me. (laughs) We just want to quit right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like the gospel of love. It does not sound like the gospel of the atonement. It does not sound like I have can have faith that I can move past this. It's, you know, uh, what was it? It, it, There was a very specific title to the lesson. I think it was like something to the effect of like how to avoid pornography, right? Mm -hmm. Or 
how to. I think we, I think our initial um, podcast episode that you and I did was right about the same time that that lesson was going to be released. So we, I think we even talked about that just a little bit there, but yeah. Yeah. And, And here's the problem, right? Most of the people, the kids who are watching that or in that lesson, 99% of them are going to view pornography at some point by the time they graduate. Maybe they're not going to get engaged with it deeply. Maybe they're not going to be um, terribly excited about it. Maybe they're going to find it a little bit off-putting. But 99% of the kids that are, you know, in our wards and in our homes, they are seeing pornography at some point before they graduate. So rather than talk about, you know, how do we run away because this thing's going to destroy us, why not talk about there's a probability that you're going to see this. Let's talk about how you want to act. Who do you want to be? How do you want to live and move forward in your life? Because this is a reality that we have in our world. And, you know, if we take that tack, if we take that position and we say, okay, I, it's a good chance you're going to see this and you're going to interact with this because it's, it's nearly ubiquitous. Then what are the, what are the things that we would want to teach as a, as a church to those individuals? I would want to teach my kids about repentance. Hey, you're probably going to like this and that's okay. Cause it, you know, touches deeply into the basic biological structures of humanity, but you may want to choose not to based on who you want to be. And that might require repentance. And I think of repentance very specifically. I think of it as changing our mind. It's changing. And so if you look at the Greek root, it's to, to have a new mind, um, which means to me, if I like something, I don't have to hate it to not do it. I only have to decide who I want to be. And that's a big difference. Like when we think about porn in the church, we're like, this is bad. It's going to destroy you. You have to hate it, which is a really weird message considering the fact that we, I mean, almost universally, men and women who view pornography find it arousing almost universally, right? When they do studies on this stuff, it's almost universal that if I view pornography, I'm going to feel feelings of arousal. I may not want to, but I almost universally do. So if we tell people, Hey, this is disgusting. And then they go, Oh, I I actually like it. What does that do to us? Messes us up. It's like, wait a minute. like when I think there's something stuff, wrong with me, I, there's yes. something wrong with me because I like this thing that's supposed to be disgusting is, and is going to ruin my life. Yes. And when I think of disgusting, I think of like the internal contents of a porta potty. I don't think about porn. Why? <laughs> Why? Because it's not realistic to think that, I mean, and Darcy likes to make this argument, uh, especially with spouses. And this is a tough argument to make because we are so ingrained with the idea that this is terrible. Uh, but it's, but it's, a, it's a thought experiment. It's not really like, this is what I believe about it, but it's a thought experiment. You could argue that the people that you're seeing in pornography are the most beautiful examples of what sex looks like. Right? You could make that argument. Now, it's not necessarily one that we ascribe to, but it is an argument that you could make. And from that position, you might be able to understand why it is that your partner um, engages with it. And you might be able to understand why it is that you feel aroused when you look at it. And then from there, 
we can go back to agency. So repentance is part of it. Agency is another part of it. We can go back to agency. We can say, okay, I know what's right and wrong. I don't want porn in my life. That's what I want. That's what's right for me is not having porn in my life. I don't have to worry about that. I don't think that's really a complicated place to be. I also know the consequences of viewing pornography. Here they are. Some of them are fantastic, right? Arousal, ejaculation, orgasm. Those are great. But then there's also um, a sense that I'm not being the person I want to be. Maybe some lack of self-confidence or some, some loss of self-confidence. Maybe in the long run, I don't like having it be a compulsive behavior that I engage with, right? I don't want it to be the way that I manage my emotions. So there's, there's other consequences, right? So we have to know that there's consequences and we have to recognize some of the consequences of viewing pornography are fun. I personally, I enjoy arousal, right? Like I think most people do. That's uh, again, biologically built in, but is this the way that I want to get there? So that's what repentance looks like. Is it like, it's, it's okay. Do, do I want this? And am I choosing this? Am I changing my mind about this? Right. And then the last thing is we have to have the capacity to say yes and no. And a lot of times within the church, the message is just no, 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 no. Right. We never allow for the possibility that we might be able to say yes. And that's tough. You know what, that aspect of it, we have to have the ability to say yes and no was something that you pointed out in the last time that we talked and has really stuck with me. I I hadn't really considered that before. Like, I think, you know, I I had, but I hadn't really put words to it. And I don't know. I I just think that that's a point that we need to give some more airtime to. Well, I I mean, if if anybody's ever dealt with teenagers, you know, this is the reality right? They have to, at some point, be able to own their choices. We can't like, you know, I've got a couple of teenagers. We can't always be like, no, this is the way this, you know, <laughs> we're not the Mandalorian here, right? It's, you've not watched the Mandalorian, have you? Okay. No, I am. You can tell by the look on my face. I am. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I could have just let okay. you talk about that. Um, <laughs> if you haven't watched the Mandalorian, which is just fine, it, that it's star. It's a Star Wars universe reference. It's on Disney Plus. Uh, again, more plugs for giant corporations. Throughout the entire thing, they say this is the way. Like they all come to agreement and they go, "This is the way." Right? You can't. You can't do that with teenagers. But they have to take it on. They have to own it. Right. Do, you know, do you want to go to swim today? Do you, do you want to do your schoolwork? At some point, you cannot keep going in and saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. You have to be able to do yes and no. And within the church, that's the principle. This is something that has kind of occurred to me over the last little while. Um, we were having a discussion with our state president, and I said, when are we going to get back to teaching principles so that people can govern themselves rather than going to our youth and saying, these are all the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you're not going to get the right outcome. Rules for outcomes is not the gospel. And that's what we often do when it comes to porn, when it comes to modesty, when it comes to, you know, you name it. Um, And I think President Nelson has really gotten um, away from that kind of thing. He's, he's trying to pull us away from that kind of thinking. You look at the, you know, the updates to the new handbook and he's like, we don't judge people on what they're wearing. We want them to be at the event. 
We're not worried about whether or not their clothes are not the right clothes. But it's the people that are having a hard time letting go of that, right? I feel like President Nelson is really doing a good job of trying to shed us of those, um, the actions there and, and those words that we have used for so long. And we don't want to let go. A lot of people just don't want to let go because it feels safe. Just tell me A, B, C, and D what to do, and then I will be okay. Yeah, and and this is a problem that we have in the church. I think broadly speaking, that um, that's driving people out. Mm-hmm. I gave a talk in church on Sunday, so Sunday was the Valentine's Day, um, you know, sacrament meeting, and the theme was. You have love. that? I have nothing like that in my like Valentine's <laughs> well, Day. The theme I'm missing out. Everybody was asked Just to speak kidding. on love, right? So you you yes. know what everybody like. And and so the idea, you know, and as I thought about it, I was like, I don't want to talk about like my love life or my relationship with my wife per se. I don't think that's valuable or valid, but I did talk about, um, you know, so there's the scripture in the, in, in, in the Bible where, um, one of the Sadducees or Pharisees, I can't remember which, but a lawyer from one of those two groups, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're like, here's the rules. Tell us the rules. Mm -hmm. We're following rules. Right. And he says to um, Christ, he says, hey, which is the great commandment in the law, right? And I think what he's trying to do there, if I'm like sitting there as a Sadducee, what, I, what would I be trying to do? I'd be trying to get Christ to screw something up, right? I think what he's trying to do there is he's trying to trap him into saying something that they can argue makes him either a blasphemer or not a prophet, right? I think that's what he's trying to do there because if you look at here's all the rules, you could pick any one and then you could argue both sides of it, right? Because that's how rules work. They're not principles. They're just ideas that we have about how things work well. Okay. So what does Christ answer? His answer is, well, great commandment. The number one commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength, right? And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, fortunately, the girl who spoke before me, the young woman who spoke before me, so there were two young women who spoke before me. One was a return missionary and one was a 12-year-old, right? And each of them took on the first two components of that scripture, right? The first component, love, love, love God, was mm-hmm. taken on by the 12-year-old. And then the second component was taken on by the return missionary. She said, love yourself. So what did I get to talk about? I... And, and it wasn't like we planned it, but it was perfect. I spoke about how we love our neighbor. One of the things that I think we struggle with in the church specifically, when it comes to things like pornography, when it comes to things like doubts, when it comes to things like how do I live this gospel wholeheartedly is that we don't allow for people to have questions. We don't allow for people to look at things and try them out and do the no's when we think they ought to do the yeses and do the yeses when we think they ought to do the no's. And we struggle to keep people because we struggle to find the space to be able to hold the space for other people to make the mistakes that they've got to make mm-hmm. because that's who they, you know, that's how they need to learn. And we can't do that if we're, you know, Never look at porn. If you look at porn, it's going to destroy your life. That's not two things, not true and not true, right? Because if you think about it, you know, mathematically, 
the, the most recent survey that I looked at, and it's probably not that recent, but I wouldn't doubt these numbers are pretty steady over time. 80% of men and 65% of women roughly have viewed pornography in the last 30 days. Now you think about that. If we look at you know, the, the United States population as a whole, 80% of men and 65% of women have viewed pornography in the last 30 days. How many people do you know whose lives are completely destroyed? I mean, I could probably tell you a couple, but I don't have any idea what it has to do with. Yes. But it's not 80% of the people you know. It's not 80%. It's not 65% of the people you know. Thank heavens. (laughs) That's a terrible place to live in. Yeah. So we got to stop. If we can do a better job of holding space and loving our neighbor, right, and not making it mean anything about us that they you know, viewed pornography, not making it mean that their life is destroyed. If our kid, our kid is our neighbor, our spouse is our neighbor, by the way. Um, you know, members of the ward are our neighbors, members. Who Basically aren't, anybody other right. than ourselves. Right. Anybody <laughs> that's not me is my neighbor, right? Yeah. So yeah. If I want to have that space for people, I got to be like, okay, I'm here to, t- I'm, I'm here to be about love and I'm willing to let you stay in my heart. I'm not willing to let you hurt me. Right. Because that's different. But I'm willing to let you be in my heart and and let me love you and treat you kindly. Even when you make decisions I don't agree with. And isn't it interesting that we think that we that other people should do things that we agree with? I think that's so fascinating that like we make it our responsibility to to judge what they're doing. Like it's right. Like it's our job. I don't know. My favorite thing when people like my Facebook stuff, sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody will come across a Facebook ad that I post and they're like, porn saved my marriage or porn's not a problem or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not here to tell you not to look at porn. I, yeah. you know, if you don't look at, if you don't want to look at porn and you're struggling with the process of not doing that, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you do that. I'm yeah. not here to judge you or tell you you're bad or be like, you know, if you keep doing this, it's going to destroy you. Cause that's not true. And we got to quit lying to ourselves lying to each other. I'm going to say something that's probably going to be a little bit controversial, but we have created within the church a culture that uh, rewards dishonesty. Now, I know that's probably not a nice thing to say, and I don't, like I don't want to I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to bash the church. That that's not what I'm trying to do, because um, that's not true, right? Yeah. Like, I, like I love this gospel, and I love. The, the brethren and I sustain the brethren, but we need to be clear. If we tr- train our children not to tell us what's going on for them because they are going to be shamed for the behaviors that they engage in, we are creating a culture that in, it rewards dishonesty. So let me give you an example of what I mean. And the church handbook has changed recently on this. Uh, the church handbook has gone on to say that um, pornography viewing and masturbation are no longer, and I'm paraphrasing, no longer matters of church discipline unless they rise to a level of just real significant disruption within the family and within the individual's life, right? So be clear about that, right? Okay, so thank you. Now, which I think is the way that it needed to be for a very long time, by the way. Um, But now if I go in, if my son goes into the Bishop and he says to the Bishop, Hey, I've been looking at porn and I've been struggling with masturbation 
and I'm trying not to do it and I'm earnestly working through the process, can you help me? And the bishop says, yeah, of course I'll help you. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to say, why don't you not pass the sacrament this week? Or really for the next month, we're going to actually ask you not to engage in any priesthood duties. Don't go to the temple. None of that. Okay. All the things that actually Help bring you some peace and hope in your life. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> because what the bishop's trying to do is he's trying to manufacture a consequence to a behavior in an effort to uh, help us you know, find the motivation to leave that behavior behind. He's, he's trying his best and I've mm-hmm. never met a Bishop who wasn't trying their best. So please don't, you know, bishops, you're, any Bishop who hears this, I fully recognize your job is very, very hard. I've been in a bishopric. I've never been a Bishop, but I've been in a bishopric. I know it's a very hard job and I'm not trying to take anything away from you, but you know, if you're a Bishop and you were like professionally an engineer, well, engineers are all about cause and effect, right? Like that's, that's what we do. And humanity is kind of about cause and effect. So if you, if you're, you know, not trained in how to talk about this, it might be difficult. So if you want to, if you want me to come train you, I'm happy to do it. I'll do it for free. Or if you want me to just come speak in your ward, I'll happily do that too. I'll do that for free. I love this. And Darcy will come with me. But what, what then happens, especially if that young man is one of three deacons or five deacons, if, especially if that young man is an integral part Mm -hmm. of his uh, quorum in a way that when he's not performing his duties, but he's sitting in the pew, it's clear something's different. What have we created? We've only created a moment where that young man is obviously not performing his duties, duties, the duties that he's been assigned because there's something wrong. Think about Which perpetuates the secrecy right. and keeps them from getting help that they could get because they're not taking problems someplace to their bishop and then they're not getting help from. And it creates shame. Yeah. And, and, and now again, just don't, I hope nobody listening to this is like, well, this guy's a jerk, right? Cause that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to. No, like, Zach is not a jerk. <laughs> call, call people into question for doing their best. Cause I, I, I hope everyone listening to this is doing their best, especially if you're a member of a bishopric, if you're a member of a state presidency, even if you're a member of the 70, hopefully members of the 70 listen to your podcast. I think that's awesome. Right. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, you know, if you're the, if you're the president of the church, if you're all the apostles, I don't know. I don't want people to feel like what I'm saying is you're doing it wrong and you're terrible and I hate you guys because that's not the truth either. But what I am saying is um, I think we could do a better job if we look to the Savior's example of how he handled what I think is probably one of the few interactions he had with someone who had sinned. Right. So I think about the woman taken in adultery, and this is a fascinating story. And I think we probably talked mm-hmm. about this the last time. But to me, that is the marquee experience. That is the experience that we all need to look to when we think about the way that the Savior would handle a conversation with an individual who is coming to them contrite and prepared to repent. Right. And Elder Wilcox, Brother Wilcox, I think, in his general conference talk, I think he was, you know, I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, people who are moving in the right direction should not be counted unworthy, should not be pushed into this box of 
I'm a bad human and, and, and treated as though they need some external consequence. Most of the consequences that we see within our lives are really inter- internal consequences. They're about how do I feel about who I am? That's mm-hmm. most of what almost every interaction we have in the world and decision we have in the world is. So you go back to Christ and how he dealt with the woman taken in adultery. And she was brought there. She didn't like volunteer and go, hey, I'm like, you know, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, check me out. I have this problem. Will you forgive me? She was brought there under some significant duress. And, you know, I, I always like to point this out. Were none of those dudes fast enough to catch the other party? No. <laughs> no. Don't get me started. There's some bias there. Let's just say that. Yes. Some bias. Yes. Right? Okay. And then what does Christ do? He, I think, I think he tries to uh, allow for mercy for both the people who brought this woman and the woman herself, right? Because he ignores them. The first thing he does is he ignores them because I think he's hoping, and this is just my interpretation, but I think he's hoping maybe they'll see that what they're doing is kind of not right. Maybe if I just get a little bit more time, they'll think about this and they'll see it, right? Maybe that's what he's saying. I don't know. But of course they press him and they say, okay, listen, you know, we should throw rocks at this lady until she dies. And of course Christ in, in his infinite wisdom asks, okay, or says, you know, okay, whichever one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And of course, all of the men there are convicted by their own conscience. And then this is where this story becomes, to me, the most real. It is that moment where Christ looks at this woman and he says, have no man convicted thee. And she says, no, no man, Lord, right? And then he says, then neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This isn't to say that when someone comes in and sits down in the you know the chair and across from the bishop and confesses their sins that every time we should just say okay well I'm not going to condemn you go and sin no more I think there's more of a conversation than that but I do think that that's an example of how the direction of the conversation needs to go right and I think it's clear from uh, from what I know of humans that Christ did not expect her to never sin again ever in his life. Right. So it might've meant something along the lines of keep getting better, keep growing, keep going through the process of coming closer to your heavenly father. Right. As you know, and, and as we look at that, it to me says, this isn't about punishing that woman. She's convicted by her own conscience. She knows that she doesn't want to be that human anymore. She knows that. And yet she stands there in front of Christ and he forgives her. That to me is how is the love that we need to bring to the conversations that we're having with our youth, with uh, other individuals, with everyone, both around the gospel and around porn. It's about how can I love this person and help them see no matter who they are or how they operate, I can love them. And when we take fear into our lessons, when we take fear into the way that we operate around our children and the way we operate around the rules of the, of the church and the way that we operate around the gospel in the sense that if you don't do this, it's going to have catastrophic uh, outcomes, then we're not within what I would call the gospel of Jesus Christ. My understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
know, I could be understanding it wrong. And, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm open to a different interpretation, but I don't, I don't think I'm wrong here. I could be wrong. Well, I think the gospel is love, right? Like the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. And, and for me, love is what inspires progression. And yeah. so when we are, when we feel enveloped in that love, our ability to progress, whether it, you know, progress from a place where we feel that we're stuck and we can't move from if we're, if pornography is something we don't want, if that's something we don't want to have be part of our life. I mean, the progression out of that is stemmed by love and, and, and the more we can get of it, the more we can fill our lives with that from all resources, whether it's church leaders and parents and everything. Um, that's just a much stronger catalyst to inspire that progression. Yeah. I think for men, I think a really good example of, ex of exactly what you're talking about right there is when you have a good boss who, who you love, you do more for that boss. You, you, you work harder. You never want to disappoint that boss. You put yourself in a position to succeed more about more readily because of your love for that person when you have a good, I mean, you might not call it love. You might call it respect. You might call right. it, right. For men, I think that's a really easy thing to see. Yeah. If I have a good boss, if I have a terrible boss, guess what I do? <laughs> yeah. I do the bare minimum. The bare minimums. And sometimes I leave because I can't take that human anymore. Right. So it's just like this, Oh, wait a minute. It's not just, it's not just the gospel. It's, you know, it's available to see in human nature which is awesome. It's just another Testament. It's another yeah. testimony of, of what the value of love is. So if it's not obvious to people by listening to this conversation, you have a different perspective and on, yeah. on this than probably a lot of people do. I'm curious if you can expand on that a little bit. Tell us what's different about the way you work with people and pornography than what they might find elsewhere. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things that I use uh, that is ex just miles different from everyone else is I don't talk about it from a, from an addiction perspective. Um, there's a, there's a number of reasons why I don't believe that pornography is an addiction. And, and it's, it, a lot of it stems from the, the reality that um, for most people, if, if you walked in on them looking at porn, they would stop doing it immediately. Whereas if you, you know, walk in on a heroin addict, they don't, they don't care. They're not, like I'm going to do my drugs. Right. Um, and then there's a chemical dependency component, right? So Cam Staley, who's a PhD researcher, uh, I think he's out of Boise state now, but he did a lot of his, um, clinical work at BYU. He went in to prove that pornography was an addiction. And what he found was that, um, pornography, just like food is, when you take that away, when you take away overeating or eating as a way to cope with your, your um, emotions, just like if you take away pornography as a way to keep coping with your emotions, the only thing you're left with is your emotions. You're not left with a chemical letdown, right? So if you're, you know, if you're like physically dependent on a chemical, that's usually what an addiction really looks like. And he found through his research, which by the way, he went in to prove that porn was an addiction because in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Manual of Psychological Disorders, <clears throat> it's not there. Porn addiction isn't there. And he was like, well, that's that's a travesty. And coming from his LDS background, he's like, no, porn's an addiction. Obviously, that's what I've been told my whole life. And he went in to prove it and guess what he found? Not the case, right? 
Now, I didn't know that until afterward. I just didn't feel that it was a valuable idea to believe that I was addicted to something. Here's why. Even if I am addicted, let's just pretend that I was. What's that give me? What's the value in believing that? Nothing. I, I, I'm a victim of something I can't control. Does that mean I want to stop doing that thing anymore? No. doesn't mean anything. What it means is I, I have an excuse to keep doing this thing. And I didn't want an excuse. I wanted to be able to say, I'm going to solve for this problem. And as I did my own research and as I did my own work, I didn't know about Cam Staley and I, I didn't really know about Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And I didn't know about the tools of the life coach school. I started to learn these things from the school of hard knocks. I've walked this path. I've literally been, you know, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I look at porn and I look at porn every day. I look at it once a month. I look at it once a week, whatever it is. I've been where you are, whether you're a man or a woman, I've been where you are. Well, I've never been a woman, but, <laughs> but, but I've been where you are when it comes yes. to the sense that I don't know how to solve for this problem and I need help to figure it out. I need tools to solve for this. And so I've been there. And so, you know, if you, there's lots of people out there who are doing the work that I'm doing. There are, there are a number of people out there. Cam, Cam Staley is one of them. He has, you know, this phenomenal background in research and in psychology that I don't have. But when you listen to him talk, you hear me. And when I listen to me talk, I hear him, right? I have this information from the school of hard, hard knocks. He has it from a, from a research perspective. He isn't saying, Hey, this is where I was. And this is what I did. And this is how I solved this problem. So he's essentially leading you from a place of theory, right? If he, if you go to work with him, right. And then there's people like, um, you know, there's a, there's a woman who is also a life coach from the life coach school who helps people work on their pornography struggle. And she's doing it again from a place of theory. She's, shouldn't say, I, you know, I know this problem, I deeply, uh, and, and simply abide in this problem with you. And I've been there and I, and I know this trajectory and I know how to get from where you are to where you want to be because I've walked that path. She says, I think I know, and let me show you. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But when I go to business conferences, I don't want to hear from a guy who's like, let me tell you the theory I have of this thing of how to run a successful business. <laughs> right. When I go to, um, to learn how to play sports, I don't go and say, all right, tell me the theory of how to play this game. Right. When, when, like my high school football coach, they were, they were all football players. They all mm -hmm. knew how to play the game. They walked the path. They knew how to hit somebody, which doesn't sound like a really good thing to know, but if you don't know how to do it right, and you can't literally show someone because you know how it feels, there's a good chance you're going to screw it up and maybe get injured, right? When you're playing football. And that's the problem, right? When you go with somebody who has a theory, and they're like, well, let me, let me test this theory on you because I don't really know. It might work, but it might be that you could get further faster with somebody who has done the work themselves. I don't want to take anything away from people who are doing this work because they're great people. Cam is a great person. He's a phenomenal researcher. I've had conversations with him. He and I are both um, co-authors in uh, Richard Osler's book on his chapter in, uh, on pornography, right? So we, we both wrote, wrote parts of that book for Richard Osler. And, you know, 
he's a phenomenal dude, but he's not saying I've walked this path. And the truth is, it is, I think, easier to know where to go if you've walked the path and how to get there if you've walked the path. And that's, I guess that's the difference between me and maybe anyone else out there. Um, and I don't like, I don't like the idea of thinking about it as, you know, an addiction because it's, I just don't think it's helpful. There's a lot of research out there that shows, uh, and if you've ever been to a 12 step meeting, you, you know, right. You like, you walk into those, uh, they, I think they call them passage meetings now. Uh, but you walk into that addiction recovery program that's put on by the church. And if you're in there with 20 people, um, which you can be in certain parts of the country, um, you, you sit there and you hear every single one of them say, hi, my name is, and then they say something like, I'm an addict, I'm a recovering addict. Um, but no matter what they say, there are very few, very, very few who are actually being successful to the level that they want to be successful at. If I told you that there was a 5% chance that I could help you solve this problem, would you, would you pay me $5,000 to do it? 5% chance? 5% chance. Probably not. Right. <laughs> right. Like I was thinking, I hope that's the right answer. I hope that's the answer he's looking that's for. That's the answer I would give. <laughs> yeah. That, statistically speaking, that's what addiction recovery programs do. They help people succeed at about a 5% rate. Do you know what the average rate of people succeeding on their own is? No, I'm curious to know that. 5%. Hmm. So what you're finding is that there's statistically no difference between choosing to go to a, an addiction recovery program and not choosing to go to an addiction recovery program. That's interesting. Right. So what does that tell you about the methodology? It's not effective, broadly speaking. In fact, it's probably in some sense detrimental. And here's why. Because there's a lot of shame that comes along with not succeeding in that program. The big book, the book that is, you know, the way the man basically the manual of how to run a 12-step program says if people aren't succeeding, and I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing here, if people aren't succeeding, it's because they're not dedicated and they're not doing enough. Now is that true? Nope. No, I don't think so. No. no. It's probably because we're not teaching them the right tools. Yeah. Which is a huge difference. And when you come to a program like mine, I've literally done this. So I know how the tools work. I literally have used these tools. You go to learn how to do welding. You don't learn it from a dude who doesn't have any idea who hasn't used the tools. You go and you work with a guy who's been welding. And that's the difference. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that really sounds so, I mean, I think when people have struggles too, they think I can, I can just pray myself out of this, right? Like if I just pray hard enough, I'm going to be able to work my way through this problem. And, and that creates a problem too, because then when it doesn't work, same thing as, you know, well, somebody the problem who's is, is what we're praying for. What do yeah, you pray yes. for? What do you pray for? Yeah. What do you ask for? Yeah. You're well, I know now what to pray for. Lead me to the tools to help yes. me figure out how yes. to, to right. do this. But I think so many times people just feel like we can just pray a blanket statement. Help me not to want to do porn anymore. Help me not to want to do this. And that's, that's not going to work. And it also makes you feel then, well, I must not be faithful enough. I must not be quote unquote righteous enough to, to have this prayer answered. And so I think there's some verbiage there that we really need to be careful with. 
Well, and here, I think it's important to understand why that kind of prayer doesn't work. That kind of prayer doesn't work because it's contrary to the principles of the gospel. If I go to my heavenly father and I say to him, Hey, please take away this burden from me. Please solve this problem for me. Please make it. So I don't want to look at porn anymore. There's a good chance that he's going to say no, because he doesn't want to take away my agency. Yep. In fact, I think if we think about, you know, the, the laws and principles of the gospel, there's some immutability there. He's not allowed to, if he wants to remain God. He can't just like jump in and throw cat videos into your web browser every time you, you know, type in boobs, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Not, not to mention, why would he want to? He <laughs> wants you to learn and grow and figure it out for the most yeah. part, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> You're going to have that image in your head for like the rest of your life. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, that, he can't do that. He won't do that. He is unwilling to do that, not because he doesn't want you to not look at porn. He he wants you to choose the right. He wants you to choose to be clear and clean in who you are, but he isn't willing to jeopardize your capacity for growth by intervening in your agency. He's just not. And so when we pray and we ask Heavenly Father, hey, can I can you do this for me? Um, if we're asking the for the for certain things or asking things in a certain way, he's probably obligated to say no to that. Yeah. And so we got to be really clear, okay, what am I praying for? And I think you're right. It's help me learn the tools, help me find the way, help me figure it out, help me move past this view of what I see right now. Cause I can't quite see, let me help me, help me have the desire and the faith to take the next step even if I don't know how it'll turn out. Those are the things that I think we can pray for. But when we go to Heavenly Father, we're like, Heavenly Father, just please just take this one problem away from me and then I'll be a great husband, you name it, great husband, great disciple, great child, great whatever. Right. He's going, ah, man, I wish I could, but I can't. Because if I do, you won't grow. And growth is essential. We have to learn to grow because if we don't grow, guess what? We become damned, damned, literally. Like that's the yeah. literal definition. Yes. Yes. Right? He's not going to do that to us. Oh. All right, Zach. I could talk this all day. We could talk about so, all day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and cat memes, apparently. And, memes. and Walmart, yeah. Walmart and Amazon. And the Mandalorian, um, which you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Right. <laughs> okay. Where can people find more of you so they can get more of this and not since we are, we need to wrap it up here today. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Zach Spafford coaching. You can find me uh, on the internet. You can go to zachspafford.com. Or if you're listening to this and you want to help me, you can go to the website that I'm building. It's called the LDS it will eventually be my main website. I don't know that I'll always keep that that uh, web address, but if you can go to that website and try and break it and then send me, just send, email me, Zach at ZachSpafford.com. Be like, this isn't working right. I would love that. <laughs> it's great. It's great to have other people help you figure out, oh, wait, this isn't doing what it's supposed to. Yes. So you can go to any of those places and I, I will interact with you as much as you want. If you want to just, you know, 
send me an email and say, Hey, this is what's going on for me. I'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Zach, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a delight. Good, good laughs, good conversation and important conversation. It's perfect. I love it. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, we just wanted to thank you for spending part of your day here with us at Latter-day Life Coaches and being part of this conversation. Share this with your friends so that you can have a conversation with them on this topic as well. And as always, subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Have a good one, my friends. Thanks for listening to Thrive Beyond Pornography. If you're seeking guidance and support to overcome pornography for good and begin creating a thriving life beyond it, check out my free webinar, How to Overcome Pornography with Skills That Actually Work. You'll learn practical, proven skills guided by an expert coach who has personally overcome pornography. Whether you're getting started for just yourself or along with your spouse, Darcy and I can teach you the tools that will help you put your life on the right path for you. Be sure to check out the show notes for a direct link and... If you could take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean the world to us. Your reviews play a significant role in helping others discover the show so they can join us on this transformative journey. Thank you for being part of the Thrive Beyond Pornography community. Until our next episode, stay strong, stay focused, and keep thriving.